As we heard this morning in the children's moment, the, um, we're continuing onward with our theme of spiritual maturity. And the theme this week is surrenderedness or yieldedness. That in order for us to be spiritually mature, we have to understand the steps that we have to take to put ourselves in the right realm. Now, the, um, the whole idea of surrendering is generally a negative one, right? Um, when you surrender something, you give up who you are, give it to someone else who may or may not be up to the task of running your life, deciding what your, the rules are that they have to follow, um, basically understanding who you are and what you need, and being your source of supply. The, the idea of surrender is to trust someone with something that you have never trusted with somebody uh, ever before. Now, in, in military terms, obviously, this is a compulsion. Um, the enemy has been beaten. They have nothing else left to fight with. All of their resources are gone. All of their desire to fight is gone. And they give themselves over to somebody that they've hated for all this time, putting into their hands that which you want. Surrender often feels like that. We surrender to something, whether it's, uh, we might, um, have, any of you have, have any of you gone to, to a job somewhere, especially when you were young, in fact, even particularly when you were young, and you got into the, the company, and you thought you discerned flaws in the way the company was run. Remember being 22, 23? Why do, they do, why do they do things this way? Well, this is the st- stupidest thing I've ever seen. I am really going to make a difference around here because I can finally am the one who can see through all the junk and all the hypocrisy and all the stupidity, and I'm the one who is going to lift this company out of the mire and show them the way to a new and better life. I thought that for a while, and life taught me that uh, some of these things are entrenched. And at some point, what do you have to do to get along in that system. Surrender. I give up. I can't take them on. They're too much for me. Of course, someday when I form my own company, it'll be based on these very, very profoundly great uh, principles, and everything will be fine. Surrender is negative. We give ourselves over to something that we don't want to do because to fight them is too tough and we learn the rules of the game in the place that we have resigned ourselves to. Now, the world is like that for us. We know the rules of the world. We know how, the, we know how it works. We know what its, its um, requirements are. We know what will get us praise, and we know what will get us shunned. We know what will make us friends, and we know what will make us enemies. Surrender is something that, um, in the end, for us turns out to feel painless. When you deal with the world day to day, sometimes we forget how much of a struggle it is and what it is about the struggle that should be warning us that maybe we've made the wrong decision about where we put our allegiance. The fact that we have to fight so hard should be a warning sign to us. And what we normally conclude is, I'm not playing the game right. Maybe there's more I have to learn. Maybe there's a change I have to make. Maybe I haven't bought the right self-improvement book that will give me the, uh, what I need in order to, uh, to get along here. The struggle is a sign, frankly, that we're trying to get along in a place where we don't belong. Now, 
Jesus talks about surrender, not always using that word, but he talks about surrender a lot. And when I think about Jesus talking, I picture this very compelling man in a long robe, sitting under an olive tree, talking to a bunch of shepherds who don't have the problems I have. Because it was a simpler time, right? It was a simpler time. They didn't have the issues that we had to face. So therefore, for them to hear the things that Jesus was saying to them, it must have been a lot easier to do then. It simply is a, was a different world. It didn't have the same forces. It didn't have the same uh, requirements. It didn't have the same challenges. So when he was talking to those people, it would seem like something that would be a very easy change for them to have to make. Here's something in John 6 that will help us give us some um, perspective about what it was like even for a person in the first century to have to um, have to grapple with when Jesus was talking. Jesus is saying, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who, f- who feeds on me, who feeds on me, that's hard to hear no matter when you're living, first century or 21st century, will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna, and they died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, he said this while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. That sounded the same way in the first century that it sounds now. The flesh counts for nothing. The world counts for nothing. Carnality, materialism, it all counts for nothing. And yet, this is where we have played our chips. The words I have spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave me too, Jesus asked the twelve, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. It was difficult then and it was difficult now. I imagine sometimes Jesus talking to these people that we sort of take as being simple people. And maybe what he should have said to them was, you know, just sit tight. I'm not really saying this to you. I know you get it, you know, simple folk. I'm saying this because it's going to help some people who live 2,000 years from now who really can't figure life out. I'm saying this for their benefit. This is all going to be written down. Sit still while, the, while the, the stenographer writes all this down because it's really going to benefit people 2,000 years from now. Of course not. It's, these words are timeless. They appeal to us. They apply to us. But they were hard to hear then. Today, I was mentioned about the world. 
The problem of being a Christian, of changing loyalties, is that it's not just changing the, um, who you look at, whether you look at the world or whether you look at Jesus. Again, we've mentioned this before. It's that you um, have to abandon where you were before, and you have to enter a new country, a new kingdom. Um, difficult stuff because when we open our eyes in the morning, the world that I see is this world. That's the world you see, right? We wake up in the morning and we know what we have to do. We know what time we have to be at work and we know what we have to do when we get there. Um, until we read our first 12 emails and find out that our entire week has been turned on its head and now we have to do things different than what we planned when we went in. But we, the fact that we know that is important. What we've entered into... Now, first, let me say this. Um, I'm aware of this about myself. Uh, I don't know how many different learning styles there are. It depends what list you use. Okay, there's, there's this kind, and then another list has this kind. The way that I learned things growing up was negative. And some of you probably did, too. These are the things you should not do. These are the things that you have to stop doing. These are the things that will get you in trouble. These are the things you have to flee from. As Christians, we also know... A lot of teaching that follows that same line. Warnings and admonitions and criticisms about the way we perceive life, about the way we do things. I don't like hearing that kind of thing, but I understand it because it's the way that I was raised. It's the way my Sunday school was taught. And so we uh, find that in the, the kind of learning style that I had, it took a long time to realize I had help. There is a positive aspect of this. The positive aspect is that I am giving myself to a holy, all-powerful God who loves me and cares about me and has given me no task that can't be undertaken, completed and uh, made uh, into a triumph when it's not put into his hands. When we give it to him and say, this is a difficult teaching, but you have the words of life. Lord, speak these words to me and help me over this hump. Help me over these these things. Because what we're dealing with with the world is a world that has so immersed us, that has so enmeshed us in it, that we can't imagine really how to be apart from it. We've entered in what I've heard taught as as sort of a, um, a practical atheism. Because the things of this world have these kinds of practical applications and practical steps that we have to take in order to get along. And for the most part, well, from the world, no, for no part, They have nothing to do with God, but we still have to do them. If we, for example, are going to put together uh, or talk to somebody who is a uh, financial counselor, and they tell us what it is we're supposed to do with our money, what they would tell us is the same thing they would tell an atheist. And we would take that counsel because it works, right? For what we want this thing to do, for what we want the end result to be, for us to be financially secure in this world with its rules and its regulations, with the way that it functions, we have to do what the world says or we are going to leave ourselves at the mercy of what? Chance? We follow the world's ways. We seek the world's advice. We cultivate the world's approval. We look to and count upon secular and natural power. We ascribe to the world's logic. And we measure the results by the world's yardstick. We do this all the time. 
we're Christians, right, and we live according to kingdom rules. What, what do we do? How do we approach these kinds of requirements? What do we, we approach this? this? Uh, are we supposed to, for example, put God to the test? Tell him, that I'm not going to do things this way, so I'm just going to sit here until you tell me what, I am, what I'm supposed to do. No, no. That's not what we're being asked to do. If Jesus is the center of our lives, the center, such that everything else is in service to him, everything about us, everything in the world that we deal with, it's in service to him. We place it in service to him. We have surrendered those things to him. We have surrendered our attachments. We have surrendered our desires. Um, We have surrendered ourselves, our entire selves, to him. He knows the world that we live in. Um, It's not an accident that when Jesus gave the the parable of the talents, that his message was, forget talents. He knew the way that the world functioned, and he used that as a way to explain how it is that the kingdom of God works in this particular case. We give ourselves to the Lord in, in all ways, and we seek him in prayer to guide us in all things. All things. He knows that we live here, that uh, we are um, uh, in this culture. How are we supposed to live here without his guidance or with? Um, When we surrender ourselves to God and give ourselves uh, to him, we realize he has taken control of everything, and that includes everything that we do at work, everything that we do in our culture, everything that we do with, uh, 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 with regard to our 401k, what it is we watch on television, how it is we speak to our friends, what books we read, what music we listen to, uh, how we speak to the uh, clerk at the grocery store who shortchanged us, how we think about the person who cut us off at College Parkway every morning at about 6.05. (laughs) Everything working within us for the kingdom of God's purposes, and we turn them over. God knows what to do with our 401k. I don't know that he'll tell us to throw it away and figure that he will send some ravens to feed us underneath of a tree. Um, It worked in one case that I can think of, but as far as I know, he didn't go and say, see what he did? All of you do that. All of you just throw away everything you have and go sit there. Now, if we go to the Lord and surrender ourselves to him, he could tell us that. But for many of us, it'll be something different, something less drastic. Some people will have to surrender everything they have, like the rich young ruler, because for the rich young ruler, in his case, all that stuff was an impediment. All that stuff was shackling him in a way that it didn't shackle all of us. The Lord knows what it is that's shackling each one of you, each one of us, from following him the way that he wants us to. He knows what those things are. And it brings, brings us then back again to the idea of surrender. Um, I think a lot about the age that we live in. Uh, The news that I've been reading about in the newspaper for the last year, almost all of it is stuff that I never thought I'd read. Everything about this, I mean, who predicted a culture that that uh, would go so awry and would be at each other's throats this way? Who would imagine a culture a year ago where you were afraid to say who you voted for? When I think about the world today and all the systems, the things of how, how complicated it is, 
um, all of the, um, the things that we have to take into account, sometimes I find myself praying about things that in, somewhere inside me I wonder, is God really concerned about this? Linear programming charts, statistical decision theories, binomial programming languages, 1099 forms, Excel spreadsheets, PDF upgrades, Windows versus Apple, which I am told in some circles is important, at-will employment, front-loaded balloon mortgages, kick-out clauses, K-Meg, K, uh, K, Meg, and Gig, on and on and on. Have you ever wondered, am I alone in this? When I go to the Lord in prayer about these things, and I feel like I have to explain them to him, like, I, I have to, I, I've done this, I've spent hours in prayer trying to tell God how it is that my Excel spreadsheet is not working. So I say, well, Excel, see, see, it's a, see Lord, it's, it's an algebraic equation. Take this, you, you know, you have to carry it, you have to copy all the cells, and sometimes the formulas copy right, and sometimes they don't. And I talk to the Lord like he's an idiot. I'm dumbing down my life so that the Lord who created me can understand it. Have you ever done that with today's culture and just thought, Lord, you don't understand, it's, it's just not like Jesus saw. It's too different, it's too advanced, it's, it's uh, something that we can't possibly hope to cope with. I do this to the Lord all the, t- all the time, that, uh, as though he doesn't understand. I have not surrendered to him all that belongs to him. By thinking to myself that some of these things still belong to me, I am the one in control of them, I am the one who has to understand them, and God doesn't have to understand them, he just has to understand me. No. When Jesus was sitting under a tree praying, he knew all about the Minimax solutions that we're facing, he knew all about uh, the computer programs that are coming along, he knew all this. In dealing with the things in today's world, we are still dealing with things, understanding that there's nothing new under the sun. They did math in the first century. They just did different math. They had machines in the first century. They just had different machines. Doesn't matter. What's at work is what's going on in the human heart, in the human spirit, in our dealings with all of these things, and whether or not we have given them to God to use for his purpose, for his kingdom purpose of working to to advance his people and to show love to others. In essence, then, in closing... I've been stung by this a little bit lately. I, I put too much of myself in the message. I speak too much about myself. Frankly, it's sort of the thing that I know best. Of all the things in the world, I don't know anything as well as I know at least myself. I don't know how to divorce myself from this. And one of the things about preaching when you do this especially as a preacher, one of the things I always wanted from the people who preached to me was some understanding that they have crossed some threshold that they then understood so well that they could come back across the threshold and pull me over. I can't do that. One of the things I've been very clear with is that I am involved in the same uh, issues that all of us are involved in, trying to move from where I am now to where the Lord wants me to be, one step at a time, however he wants to go. It's why I have always felt so strongly about the idea of us being on a shared journey. And if anybody here hears anything that I'm talking about and says, well, I know how that works, 
please give the sermon next Sunday. Um, I don't know. I only know the answer lies in that direction. With God, through the Holy Spirit, working with me to do what he wants with me, even though I can't imagine how it's going to work now. And so what it amounts to when it comes to surrender, in the issue of surrender for spiritual maturity, is understanding how do I feel about that, and what things have I surrendered, and what things have I not. What things have you surrendered, and what things have you not. Are you aware of anything in your life that you have not surrendered, that you know of a certainty the Lord has told you to? That the Lord has said, this is something you don't need, this is something I don't want you to have, whether it looks like something we need or not, whether it looks to us like something we, that's good for us or not. The Lord says it's wrong, I, the Lord says he wants us to give it up, and we won't. Anything like that? Is there anything that you feel like in your life doesn't belong to God? This is mine. He's not interested in it. Is there anything in your life that you don't trust God to handle? I'm afraid if I give this to God, he will require this of me. I'm afraid if I give this to God, he will keep it and he won't give it back and tell me, it's okay if you keep it, Scott. So I don't mind. Just keep it. You can just go on the way you're going right now. All I wanted to know is that you were willing to give it to me. Is there anything you simply don't want God to have because you enjoy it so much? Because you're concerned, again, about what he's going to to say to you? Are you not willing to give anything up to God because you think to yourself that it's not hurting you? That it's small, that it's insignificant? If it is keeping you from going to God, it is not insignificant. I don't care what it is. Spiritual maturity, we talked about um, in the children's moment, how can, you, how can you see, how can you be aware of spiritual maturity in another? It comes from how your willingness is to answer these questions. All of us are holding on to things we don't want to let go of. All of us has habits we have gotten used to and that we rely upon. All of us have placed our, um, our faith in material things that uh, we don't want taken away from us. All of us have um, embarked upon a journey that we think we know the end to on our way to where we're going and that um, we, we think we know best how to get there. Uh, that if we give up anything, it will interfere with our journey. It will make our journey less comfortable. It will prolong our journey. I thought of two, there's two people that I've thought of where the whole idea of surrender is, has missed them in a way that's clear, even to a person who has not even grappled with this before. One of them, frankly, was a kid I went to high school who died last week. I never liked him very much. So I say, I, I love everybody and I like almost everybody. And I never, I never liked this kid very much. Uh, he was the kind of kid who would, would, in, would just insult you for a laugh. Anybody for a laugh, including his friends. It didn't matter. The laugh was more important. And now when you go to a, a, um, uh, the website at the funeral home, they have testimony. You know, there's all kinds of stuff you didn't used to be able to get. So they have old, people submit old photographs. They have testimonies. And one guy, went, I went to him when he was like on his deathbed from liver disease. 
And he said, um, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to some place sort of in between heaven and hell where I'm allowed to have fun. On his deathbed, said this, clearly a person not understanding what's at stake. And it brings to mind the second one, and I thought about this also. There was a famous author, he's been gone a couple of years now, named Isaac Asimov. Did anybody know who he was? Uh, he was a great science fiction writer, great science fiction writer. He wrote a, a, the Foundation Trilogy that I've read maybe three or four times. He read a whole bunch of other things. He wrote about just about almost anything. But he could never, he, he could never surrender to, to, the, to Jesus, he, the whole idea of Christianity. And he would say that, you know, when I hear a pastor talking about these stuff, I wonder to myself, do they even believe this themselves? How can they believe anything so fantastic? Themselves and his—he was um, the head of the American Humanist Society for a while, uh, which whose desire was to reorganize the culture so that it didn't rely on faith anymore. And his picture of heaven was that it was boring. The way it's presented to us is that it's boring. What do I spend eternity doing if I can't do all the stuff that I like doing now? Uh, how do I spend? Uh, eternity praising and worshiping what kind of way is that that does not sound like a reward to Isaac Asimov and so the whole idea of also being in, in surrender as these folks didn't know was understanding who you're surrendering to and how worthy he is how much he understands us how much he provides how with us he is how much he uh, cares for us and what he can do with a life fully given and yielded up to him as the old dub uh, song, um, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, while I am yielded and still. You are the master, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. Um, this is what to pray after, because our lives are filled chock-a-block full of um, our own um, insistence on what it is about our lives that we like and we don't want him to have. We might not put it that way, but that's really what it amounts to. And, and, and I understand how negative that sounds. I understand that's, that's my upbringing. But I also know that we have the sure and certain hope, not as the heathen have. We have the sure and certain hope of one who understands this. God knows who we are. He knows my worries. He knows my concerns. He doesn't slap me down, and he doesn't get angry with me, and he doesn't say, how dare you talk about me that way? What he says is, come to me who are, gent who, um, who are gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you peace. Um, come and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And that's what we're called to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and this will serve also as the, as the benediction. Open yourselves up to the Lord about who you are, to the one who will reveal to you who he is. To be truly surrendered and yielded to him, to take the things of your life which are hurting you, whether you acknowledge it or not. Let us go and give it all to him and trust him with our lives and with our very souls and selves and our very spirits, with our very lives in this world and make it into what he wants it to be. Let us not go with any preconceived notions about what it is that we want to keep or what uh, his salvation must look like in order for us to be uh, pleased with it. Let us just yield ourselves altogether to the God who made us, knows who we are, and knows what his plans are for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.